Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. Hey, let me say a prayer for us, and we're going we're gonna to jump in because we've got some ground to cover. God, as we continue working through our summer series on the different things that pull us away from experiencing your nearness. God, we ask, we ask that you would help us to know who you are. God, that we would know who we are in Christ and, and that the gospel would just be our anchor in life, that it would continually hold us in a place where we are experiencing your nearness and knowing it. Um, and God, that you would be the guide of all of our lives. So God, be with us this morning as we wrestle to understand um, what you've called us to do um, and, and what our callings are. God, just name we pray. Amen. Well, one of the things I love about East Tennessee is that there's just, there's so many hiking trails that you can go to. And every summer you'll see someone put up on Facebook, just here are the 10 waterfalls to see this summer. And, and I love that stuff, but I also kind of hate it because I don't know if you've ever been on our trail systems, but 90% of the time they are not going to be well-marked. And so you're sitting there thinking, I'm going to find a waterfall. I'm going to do it. And you pull up and you're going down some country road that doesn't have signs. And you're passing different trailers with tires on top, holding the sheet metal down. And you're like, where am I? And then you're like, is this where I park? Is it, this isn't a parking lot, but I'm going to park here. And then you head off into the forest and you're just walking around. And then you'll come to a point where there's a fork in the road. You know, do you take the left trail or the right trail? And there's no white marking on the tree. And it almost feels like there's two hands just saying, go that way. And, and so you take the trail, right? You, you go, Americans generally go right, but you break and you go left. And so you go to the left and you're walking down this trail. And, and so as you do that, there are three stages that you're going to go through. Right, there are three stages of hiking an unknown trail that you go to. First stage, this is questioning your decision. You go left and you begin stage one, which is, should I have gone right? Is this the right trail to be on? Now, if you're a guy, that is never verbally processed. Like no one with you knows, but you know, you're questioning. And then after, after a while, you will enter stage two. Now, stage two is a game. This is where you're walking on the trail and you're thinking, I don't see anything that resembles what I'm looking for or anything that makes me feel certain that I'm on the right trail. And so you go, I'm just gonna walk for 10 more minutes. And at 10 more minutes, if I don't see anything promising, I'm gonna turn around. And so you play this game and I call it a game because you walk for 10 minutes and then you sit there and go, well, what if it's just five more minutes up the trail? What if I turn around now and I miss it and I was that close? I'm just gonna walk for 10 more minutes. And you do this three to four times, up to an hour. And then if you still have not found what you're looking for, you enter stage three. Stage three is low level anxiety, but this is where you begin to question something else. Like, where am I? Is this headed towards a holler from deliverance? Is that banjo music, right? And you're, you're, you're like, I don't know what's happening here, all right? And so I've always wondered, what if I got lost in the woods? Could I survive? If I was walking on a trail and I was in the middle of nowhere, could I make it back to civilization? And I mean, a couple of years ago, I was watching the Survivor shows, Survivor Man, Man vs. Wild, like Naked and Afraid. I've actually never seen that one. But it's the same concept of people get lost and they, they, they survive. And so whenever someone's lost in the woods, generally they'll try to find their north 
right? So you learn how to make structures and how to hunt small game or fish or what plants you can eat, but you've got to find your north. And to do this, if you're, if you're like Moana, you can read the stars, um, or maybe you need to use the shadow tip method with sticks, or you can use your analog watch. There's, there's different ways of finding your north. But finding north is important because you have to have just a point of reference or an established direction. And if you don't have that established direction, you risk wandering around and getting nowhere. All right, so finding your north is important. And so this summer, we've been talking about things that pull us away from experiencing God's nearness. And with that, the gospel is our north. The gospel is our established direction, all right? And so over the course of the summer, what we're doing is just exploring that question of why do I feel distant from God? Um, That's one of the biggest questions I get is just, I'm feeling distant from God, what's going on? And so the first week that we jumped in, we, we defined the difference between union and communion with Christ. So union is something objective. It's, it's, it's concrete. It never changes. We are near to God all the time. But communion is our experience of that nearness. And that's subjective. It changes depending on the person and the season of life. And so while it's true that you were always near to God, you might not always experience that nearness. And so there's different things that make us kind of feel like we're pulling away. The first thing is when we distort the gospel. We can distort the gospel message in two ways. One is we can pollute it by adding our performance. We think that God's love, acceptance, approval somehow hinges on the things that we do. And then we're adding to the work of Christ and, and then we feel distant from God. Or we can dilute it and we dilute the gospel or we water it down when we rightfully make much of God's grace, but wrongfully make light of our sin. And then last week, we talked about how another thing that pulls us away from God is just misunderstanding our identity in Christ. The world is constantly speaking in and trying to answer the question of of who are you? And for some people, that's their life stage. For some people, it's their relational status. It might be your career or your hobby or, or a number of other things. But if you define yourself and find your worth in anything less than Christ, you will, you will become what we called someone who's stuck in spiritual delayed adolescence. You might look like your spiritual adult, but you're still living like a spiritual teenager where you just kind of waver. Sometimes you feel like God loves you. Sometimes you're not quite sure. And sometimes you think he doesn't. And you just kind of go back and forth. You're not experiencing God's nearness because you don't know who you are in Christ. All right. Now, today, we're going to take it a step further and we're going to talk about how that relates to our calling. Right? So the, the first question we talked about last week was, who am I? Right? And we answered that. Oh, at the end of the day, like you are a child of God and so much more than that, but you are who God says you are. Today, I want to look at the question, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Right? Those are two of the biggest questions we ask in life. One is, who am I? And the second one is, what am I supposed to be doing with my life. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And sometimes you can feel a little aimless, right? Sometimes as you're walking through the, the forest of life, you can feel like you're on a trail and you can wonder, am I spending my energy in the right direction? I know I'm doing something. I know I'm working. I know I'm getting tired, but am I going in the right direction? You can feel a little bit aimless. And so how do we answer the question of, and how do we become sure of if we're doing the right things? So what are we supposed to be doing with our lives? So if you've got your Bibles, let's start in Genesis 1. I want to frame today's sermon in two ways. All right, the first is I'm going to talk about what we're, what we're created for. And the second is I want to look at what we're called to, right? Created for, called to. Just a two-point sermon with a lot of subpoints. points, right? Created for, called to. 
All right, and so the first thing I wanna talk about is what we're created for. I don't know if you grew up in a church that catechized you, um, but catechisms are a way of teaching people the faith and it's a, it's a question answer form. And so in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the first question is, what is the chief end of man? All right, and the answer to that is the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so what, we, what are we created for? To glorify God. Now, um, sometimes that becomes Christian ease. It's like we say that, what are you created for? To glorify God. And so often people have no idea how to define what that means. It's like, what does that mean? How do you do that? I don't know, it just sounds Christian-y, so I say it, right? It's for, like, I live for the glory of Christ. Like, what does that mean? I don't really know, right? So what does it mean to, to live for the glory of God? What does it mean to be created for his glory? So let's, say, let's look at Genesis 1, starting in 26. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on from the earth. Right, so in this text, we see that we were created in the image of God. Why do you create an image? Why, like why, why do you create an image? You create an image because you want to image something forward. All right, and so we do this with statues. I don't know if you're a sports fan, but if you live in the South, generally you have a college team that you're loyal to. If you live in the North, it's probably a professional team. If you live out West, it's probably just a bandwagon. Like what is Hollywood like, right? And so, but if you have a team that you pull for, most likely there's a statue somewhere. Right? And so Alabama has the statue of Nick Saban. Tennessee has the statue, because football's not relevant, of Pat Summit. Right? And, then you have, and then you have up north in Wisconsin, you've got Vince Lombardi. And in Chicago, you've got Michael Jordan. But these statues exist to remind people of, of someone else. Like you don't look at the statue and camp there. You, you let the statue point you to something greater, to an accomplishment, to a character, to a season of life. And, and so these statues point to something else. In the same way, God creates us in his image, not to make much of us, but to make much of him. He creates us in his image so that we would point others to his greatness, right? And when we live lives that point others to how good and how great and how glorious Christ is or God is, we are now fulfilling what we were created for, to live for God's glory. And, and so when you think about this, we want to live, act, speak in such a way that we draw attention to the perfection of God, right? When we do that, we are living for his glory, when we think, live, act, and speak in such a way that we draw attention off of ourselves and towards the perfection of God, that's what it means to live for his glory. All right, so we are created for what? Created for God's glory. Like, let's get a little soul in this church, okay? So we were created for God's glory. Glory. All right, you guys are doing great. So you, if anything else today, you understand this. What are you created for? God's glory. glory. All right, amen. All right, can I get an amen? amen. 
Amen. All right, so we got some soul in here. All right, we are created for God's glory. Now, let's look at what we are called to. All right, so we got to start off with what we are created for. We are created for God's glory. Now, let's look at what we are called to. And what we are called to is how we accomplish what we are created for. All right, what we are created, what we are called to is how we accomplish what we are created for. I want to frame our callings in three ways. All right, and so I would say that every one of us in here today has three callings on our life a primary, a secondary, and a personal. Okay, three callings. So every one of us has a primary, a secondary, and a personal calling. Now, I love the Lord's Prayer because in the opening line of the Lord's Prayer, we have our primary and secondary calling, calling given to us. When we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, the questions of who am I and what am I supposed to do with my life are answered. If God is our Father, that means that we are his children. Okay, we talked about this last week. That's our identity. Your primary calling in life is simply this, to be a child of God. Okay, that, that is your primary calling in life. If that's all you ever understand is that through faith in Christ, you have been adopted into a new family, that God is your father and that you are his child. If that's all you ever understand, if that's all you ever do, that is enough. But when you truly understand the depths of what that means, it's impossible to live in that state of stagnancy. You're like, no, I want more. I know I'm created for more. And that leads to our secondary calling. And that's answered in hallowed be your name. Now to, to hallow something, right, means to make holy. And so what are we doing? We're hallowed your name throughout scripture. Like read through the Old Testament, you will see all of these names for God. So many names and all of these names are doing something. They are revealing to us various aspects of God's character, right? And so, so there's this idea of like, I wanna know God for who he is. Like we don't, we don't get to define who God is. That's not in us. We aren't able to just make God to be who we want him to be. We see God's self-revelation of himself. We see his character unfolding and we allow God's word to shape the way we think about him. And, and so we want to make, we want to have an awareness of who God is. And then we want to live our lives in such a way that we make that known, right? And so let's just break this down real simply. Your secondary calling is this, to know God and to make him known, okay? primary calling is to be a child of God. Secondary calling is to know him and to make him known. Now, it's really important to understand that our secondary calling to know God and to make him known flows from our primary calling, right? Our secondary calling flows from our primary calling. Let me explain how this works. In Genesis 1, 28, it says, God did what? God blessed them and then said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Blessing comes before command, All right? That's a rhythm we see throughout all of the Bible. Blessing precedes command. So who are they? They are blessed. What do they do? They fill the earth, right? They fill the earth. They, they are fruitful and multiply. Lord's prayer, who are we? We are children of God. What do we do? We glorify him by knowing him and making him known. But that secondary calling always flows from a proper understanding of our identity or who we are, right? So primary calling is that you are a child of God. 
Secondary calling is that we are to live lives where we know God and make him known. All right, now let's talk about our, let's talk about our, our personal calling, right? So primary, that's who you are. You are a child of God. Secondary, you are to know him and to make him known. Now let's dive into our personal calling, all right? Our personal calling is how, is how our primary and secondary callings, um, is how the gospel applies to our primary and secondary callings. All right, so flip over to Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25. Real quick, let me give you a little context to what's happening in Matthew chapter 25. Um, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, right? Jesus gathers up his disciples after his resurrection and he gives them a command. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, all right? Now, that, that whole like teaching them to obey stuff. A lot of times we read the Great Commission and we're like, what is he talking about? Teach them what? Teach them all that he obeyed? Well, Matthew writes his gospel in a very unique way. The book of Matthew or the gospel of Matthew has five teaching blocks, all right? Five teaching blocks. And so when Jesus says, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, Matthew is using that in a way to refer back to the five teaching blocks. Teach them what I've been teaching. Teach them the five, teach them the book of Matthew. Like the book of Matthew was literally written to be a manual of discipleship for the early church, right? The fifth teaching block is all about how to live as we wait for Christ's return. It's how to live in such a way that if Jesus showed up today, we wouldn't have any regrets, Right, so how do you live a life where you have no regrets, where you know that you fulfilled your calling in life? So this is all about how we live as we wait for Christ's return. All right, so let, let's look at the parable of the talents in verse 14. The parable of the talents. This is, all, this is gonna help us to unpack our personal calling. It says, for it, and the it refers to the kingdom of God, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. All right? And so real quick, a talent here is not talking about a talent show. Like he didn't give one guy the ability to sing, one guy the ability to perform magic tricks, and another guy the ability to like dance. Like these aren't, these aren't like your talent show type talents. This is, this is a, a, a chunk of money, right? And so if you wanted to do the math on what a silver talent would be worth today, a silver talent would be worth about $350,000 at $7.25 an hour. Right? So if you think about that, he's given one dude like 1.75 mil, another guy 700,000, another guy 350,000. That's $2.8 million this guy's just divvying out. He's like, hey, here's some money, do something with it. All right? So he divvies out money to these guys for a purpose. Look at verse 16. He says, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more saying, master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. Then listen to verse 21. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, as you, as you continue to read this parable, what happens is the guy who received two talents does the same. He takes it, he's a good steward, he invests it, and he, he makes four talents, right? He makes two more. But the third guy, the guy that dug the hole, like when the master shows up, he kind of scolds him. This guy has a wrongful view of who his master is. And because of that, he operated out of fear and he wasted what his master entrusted to him, all right? And so the whole point of this parable, like the, the main point of Matthew 25 is this, make the most of the resources and opportunities God has given you, all right? The whole purpose of this, he's saying, look, you are supposed to make the most of the resources and opportunities God has given you. So the focus here is not on the servant's performance. It's not on their performance about who did better than the other or who did more than the other. It's not about like earning their way to the master's favor through, through accomplishing more than the other guy. It's not about performance. The focus is on faithfulness. The focus is on faithfulness, which leads us to ask the question as we read this, like, how are you faithfully and thankfully responding to God's goodness? Right, so we, we should look at this parable and say, okay, like what has God given me and entrusted me with? And how am I faithfully and thankfully living in response to God's goodness? I, I wanna take a, a quick tangent here. So often when people think about their personal callings, it has to do with their career field. It's like, am I doing the right job? Did I get the right degree? Have I been in this season of life too long? Should I make a change? Should I move there, move here? Like, should I just start over? And, and, and we, we get caught up and think that what we're called to is tied up in our vocations. And that's, that's, not, that's not at all scriptural, right? Like, like your, your calling is not tied up in, in your vocation. But when you think about that, I, I do want to frame up just three quick thoughts. I'm, I'm going to fly through these. All right, the, the first one is this. Work existed before the fall. All right, so work existed. Genesis 3 happens. Everything goes bad. But, but because work existed before the fall, that means it's something that God wants to redeem and restore. Right, which means that work is something that God wants us to get fulfillment out of. All right, so we should work in such a way that we find fulfillment. That's what God intended work to be, and that's how we want to experience it. Maybe you're sitting there going, how do I do that? right? How do I do that? This is, a, this is a, the Cliff Notes version of that. Think about this. What are you talented at and good at just naturally? Maybe you're good with numbers. Maybe you're good with communication. Maybe you're good with art. Like just think like, what are you just naturally good at? Then think about what are you passionate about? Are you passionate about this? Are you passionate about that? Maybe it's different than your neighbor. It's, there's, not, there's no wrong or right answer, but like, what are you passionate about? Now think about those things coming together. Then say, can I get paid for this? Can I, like, I'm good at it. I'm passionate about it. Can I get paid for this. And what you're doing is you're not selecting that proverbial unicorn job. You're, you're reducing or you're eliminating and shrinking the pond. So when you go to college or you finish high school, you're probably thinking there's an ocean of things I could do. There's an ocean and we want to eliminate things and shrink that down to a lake and shrink that down to a pond. And so think about what am I good at? What am I passionate about? Can I get paid for it? And then all of a sudden things that don't fit that sweet spot, take them out. And what you'll find is you'll have a much smaller pool to choose from, and then you'll have multiple things that you can do and find fulfillment in, right? And so, so then third, right, because maybe you're sitting there going like, I find no fulfillment in my job. 
Like, like I'm frying fries and it stinks, right? Like, 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 like I don't like what I'm doing. And so here, here's something I wish, let, let me just speak. This is speaking to adults, but let me speak this over our, like our high schoolers and our college students as well, because I wish I would have known this way earlier in life, okay? And I'm ripping this off from Andy Stanley, so just let that be seen, all right? You're being faithful to your current circumstances will prepare you for future opportunities, okay? Being faithful to your current circumstances will prepare you for future opportunities. So if you think about Joseph at the end of Genesis, the dude's thrown into a well, sold into slavery, thrown into prison, and then he finds himself at the right hand of Pharaoh. Like if he drew up his five to 10 year plan, I'm sure a lot of those stops were not on it, but he was faithful along the way and God used his faithfulness to prepare him for a future opportunity. And so no matter where you are, be faithful where you're at. Right? Be faithful where you are, right? And that will prepare you for future opportunities. Tangent over, let's go back to Matthew 25 and the talents, okay? Now, talents, real quick, what's going on here in the talents is this. If you're going to be faithful with your, with your resources and opportunities, you're gonna need to do personal inventory, right? So let's say you're like, I get it, I'm a child of God. I get it, I exist to know him and to make him known. Now let's talk about how you start to live in that personal calling. Do a personal inventory. Take a piece of paper and, and use strengths size. Think about this. What are your strengths? What are your talents? What are your passions? Where do you have influence? What resources had God given you? Your time, your money, your health, your knowledge, your experience, and just start creating a list of like, what, what are the things that God has given you? What resources do you have? And then see where you already are. See where God has placed you and realize that where you are in life is not by accident. God could have put you at any time in history, at any country in the world, at any state in America, at any city in Tennessee, but he chose right here, right now for a reason. And so see where God has placed you and then intentionally use what you have where you are so others can know and experience salvation in Christ, All right? So, so think about what you have, see where you are, and then intentionally use that so others can know Christ. Because all God has given you is a talent. It's a loan from God and we are his stewards, All right? And when we think about what we're supposed to be doing with our lives, it has to be seen through this question, right? So when we think about like, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Think about it with this question in mind. How can I invest what God has given me and where he has placed me to further his kingdom and his glory, all right? And so as you start to do the legwork on that, you will find that you can, you can fulfill and live in your personal calling in so many different vocations, in your hobbies, in your neighborhoods, with your friend groups, within your family. And you can begin to live out how God has personally and uniquely wired you to accomplish this secondary calling of knowing him and making him known. All right, so real quick, I've talked about how the gospel is our anchor in all of this. Okay, so how does the gospel apply to our, our callings? All right, how does the gospel apply to our callings. And so I know I'm just, I'm dumping so much text on you right now. You might be like, stop. Like, I like it when you just read a, a book of the Bible. Um, go over to Colossians 3 real quick. All right, Colossians 3, this will be the, the final thing I wanna look at. 
And this is all how the gospel, this is all about how the gospel applies to our calling in life. I'm gonna theologize you guys real quick um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna fly through it so you can catch this on a podcast or online if you miss something. Okay, Colossians 3, starting in verse one. Now, this, this, and I'm telling you, this is, this is where like theology is not just big headed stuff for like seminary students and professors. This is where this meets the road and becomes beautiful for the everyday person, right? Verse one, chapter three. If then you have been raised with Christ, let's just stop there. If you have been raised. Now, let's say that you're Bill Jolly and you majored in English, have been, past, present, or future. Have been. Past. He's on, he's on board. Past tense. All right. This is, this is past tense. If you have been raised with Christ, this is what we call justification. So justification is not just a word you read in the Bible and skim on from. It means something beautiful. Justification means that the penalty of your sin has been removed and your position with God has changed from sinner to saint or from orphan to child. Like this means that everything has changed. So it says, if you have been justified, if you have been raised, if, if, if the gospel has saved you past tense, right? Justification, he says this, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And so this is what we would call sanctification. So if you've been justified, pursue sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And so when it says, set your mind on the things that are above, it, it, this is twofold, right? That means two things. First, it means pursue a deeper knowledge of who Christ is, right? Second, it means use that knowledge to live your life like Jesus would live it if he was in your shoes, okay? Pursue a deeper knowledge of Christ and then use that knowledge to live your life like Jesus would live it if he were in your shoes. How would Jesus be as a student? How would Jesus be as a businessman, a teacher? How would he be as a mom or a dad? How would he be as a grandpa? Like, how would he be as a neighbor? How would he be at the gym? How would he be driving down 26? Like, think about, like, how would Jesus live? Like, use the knowledge that you are pursuing and apply it to live your life like him. So one of the ways that we make God known is by living lives that look like Jesus, meeting people where Jesus would meet them, saying things that Jesus would say and doing what Jesus would do, all right? So justification, sanctification, all right? Then look at verse three. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. All right, so what we see here is as we pursue Christ likeness, we're gonna have good days and bad days. We're gonna have good seasons and bad seasons and stuff that's just kind of neutral in between. And so this is a beautiful news about how the gospel is saving us, right? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Bill Jolly is hidden, past, present, or future? Present, all right, is, is hidden with Christ. This means that as you pursue Christ's likeness, there is this beautiful news that the way God views you is different than the way you view yourself. When God looks at you on your worst day, on your best day, and in between, he looks at you and sees Christ. So let's, let's just break this down real quick. Let's say that, let's say that this section right here, um, let's say that you guys are, are, are God, all right? You're holy. You guys are God. And let's say that, that I am you, all right? So I'm here individually, and this is Jesus. 
And let's say we have a sliding scale here. Over here to the right, I'm doing really good in life. And the right, this is where I'm fighting temptation, I'm experiencing victory, I'm reading my Bible, memorizing scripture, I'm sharing my faith at work, I am knowing God and making him known and it's awesome. Then it's to the left over here I'm sliding and I'm doing really bad. Like I'm not fighting temptation, I'm just giving in. Um, I'm not walking into church confidently. I, I feel kind of beat up and like I've drunk through the mud. And so this is like my worst day. Now, what we see on this sliding scale is we slide to good to bad, God, when you guys see yourself, right? Like when God sees you, he sees Christ in your place. So on my, on my worst day, I, I feel horrible. I feel shame. I feel guilt. I feel like God doesn't love me or approve of me or accept me anymore. Like I, I just feel like he is so far because I'm doing so bad. But what you know, if your life is hidden as Christ, when God looks at you, what does he see? Does he see your failures? No, he sees Christ in your place. And then on your best day, when you're killing it, you're doing great and you're so confident, when God looks at you, does he see your performance? No, he sees Christ in your place. And Christ in your place is far more wonderful than anything you could ever bring to the table. And so we have this confidence that as we pursue Christ's likeness, that no matter how we're doing, God always sees our lives as hidden in Christ. So not only has the gospel saved us past tense, it is saving us present tense, and then it will also save us Future tense, look at verse four. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is known as glorification. It's how the gospel will save us. And so the way that God sees us today, our lives hidden in Christ, there will be a day when we fully realize that and see ourselves as God has seen us all along. All right, so you have justification, how the gospel has saved you. You have sanctification, how the gospel is saving you. You have glorification, how the gospel will save you. It's the gospel past, present, and future. All right, like we talked about, the gospel is not something you move on from. It's something you grow deeper into. That's what we're getting at today, right? So there's a lady named Jen Wilkins, and I love the way that she explains this, all right? She says, in relation to this text, this is how we can, this is how we can live, Listen, this is beautiful. Rest confidently in your justification, labor diligently in your sanctification, and hope expectantly in your glorification. So how does the gospel apply to our callings? It gives us this rhythm of as we seek to be a child of God, to know God and to make him known, and to do so as we are uniquely wired, that we do so in a way that we rest confidently, and how the gospel has saved us. We labor diligently knowing how the gospel is saving us, and we hope expectantly knowing how the gospel will save us. All right, that's beautiful news. All right, so quick recap, created for. Let's get some soul back in this place. We are created for God's glory, glory all right? We are called to know him and to make him known. All right, and then we do that with a rhythm of rest, labor, and hope. So let's just, let's just bring this home. How does this apply? All right, how does this apply to feeling distant from God? If you're in a season where you're like, I just feel distant from God, how does this apply? Here's the main thing. Identity-driven activity leads to the relational nearness of God, right? So if you could imagine two circles, let's just go Venn diagram here, two circles colliding, right? We have two things with our, with our identity, our primary calling, and our activity, our secondary calling, and our personal calling. 
that, that needs to be on point. And if it's off, if there's a break here, we're going to feel God's distance. Okay, the first thing is identity. We need to know who we are in Christ. And that needs to drive our activity of knowing him and making him known. And when our identity drives that activity and those, those, those concentric circles overlap, that middle ground is experiencing God relationally. It's this relational nearness of God. So if you aren't experiencing God relationally, if you feel like God is distance, look at that Venn diagram and see if something's not broke. For some people, they're, they're living in their identity. It's like, I know who I am in Christ. I'm a child of God and nothing I can do will make him love me more. Nothing I can do will make him love me less. So I'm just gonna sit back and chill and wait for eternity to come. And, and you get your identity, but there's no activity. And if you do that, it's gonna feel like God's out there doing his thing while you're back here doing your thing. And there's this break, you're not experiencing him relationally. And so you need to let your identity drive your calling to know him and make him known. And other people, it's all about activity, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm reading scripture to know God. I'm reading theological books to know God. I'm telling people about Jesus to, to make him known. And I'm doing and I'm doing and I'm doing. And you're doing that, but you're not resting in who God says you are. And so you begin to believe that the way God views you hinges on your performance with your activity. And so there's activity, but there's no identity. And then it's broke as well. But when you get identity, and when that drives your activity, the result is you experience God relationally. So if you feel like you're distant from God, could something be off? We need both of these things working together where identity drives our activity. And when that happens, we experience God relationally. Final thought, when you know who you are in Christ and when that knowledge deeply penetrates your heart, it will lead to the activity of stewarding your life to know God and to make him known. And that results in experiencing God's relational nearness. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time to hang out with your people and to explore who we are in Christ and what you've called us to do. God, I ask that you would meet us here this morning, that you would pull us close as only you can do, and that we would be a people who are sure in who we are in Christ, and that we'd be people that would labor towards the end of, of living for your glory so that other people can know your goodness and your greatness, and that as a result of that, we would experience and live in your nearness. That you're good and we love you. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.